All right. Hey, what's going on? That thing I doers, that thing I dudes, that thing I do debts, that thing I don'ts. I don't know. All the we miss you. We miss, we you. miss you during the week when we're not with you. I hope you enjoyed the last week's episode with Josh Groban. That was that was fun. It's fun that he's with us. But I think we have somebody uh, on the. Uh, I, we have all these really really talented dudes who are all like seriously. I know I talk a lot, but I've been trying to stay out of the way and just let them talk because uh, today we have Ryan Tedder. I'm curious, Esty, like, are like, I think I follow what's going on in music a lot because I, I do it like proactively. Yes. But yes. like, you were aware of, like, before being in the music industry, like, of Ryan's, like, cultural, musical ubiquity in the scene, right? Yes. Like, because a lot of people have to explain, and I'm always shocked that they don't know that he has done as much so as he much. has done. So yeah. much. I mean, my my introduction to Ryan was, I think like I think like most people was with apologize with Timberland, mm-hmm. and seeing that video and also hearing that song. I mean, it's like an undeniable beautiful song. And then just through the years, like I feel like it's, you know after that it was like every year it was like he had like the five number one songs of that year he'd written those songs yeah he he definitely checks all the boxes i think i've talked a lot about anthony newley on this show who's one of my guys who anthony newley and mel torme and all all these multi-hyphenates that were famous for one thing so anthony newley who wrote and directed and starred in his own shows but he also wrote like goldfinger and he wrote pure imagination and he wrote feeling good and all these songs and Ryan is one of these guys because he's had it for, and I'm saying this sort of um, as exposition for anybody who doesn't know who Ryan is listening to this uh, podcast, because I just assume everybody knows everybody uh, in the entertainment industry. But obviously Ryan's lead singer, frontman, uh, songwriter, uh, a band leader of One Republic when they have a lot of hits, but he's also a prolific um, songwriter, producer. Um, I just don't, we, like there's not enough time to go, just Wikipedia. I mean, they'll do a better yeah. job, but of course, Beyonce, Adele, you know, Demi Lovato. It's, I'm forgetting Taylor so Swift. many people. Taylor Swift. There's just so many. He's had so many massive songs, and there are so many songs that people listening to this podcast probably don't even realize that he wrote are Ryan Tedder's songs. But I wasn't aware of just how eclectic his background was. He told some pretty amazing stories, and just the value of being of the hustle and being shrewd, and and just he said so many things yeah. that I was so so moved and I'm uh, shocked. Really, really, honestly inspired by. Yeah. Our, our mouths were like, yeah the entire the time. time the entire time like the stories that he told on this podcast and he has a tie were incredible in with he's got a tie in with Lance Bass one of our previous guests he tells a great story about Matthew, Matthew Morrison my old castmate on Glee the world is so tiny it's so nuts it's, it's crazy so small. just how much it's yeah. so small we're all so connected it really is six degrees of Kevin Bacon yeah we got to get Kevin on the show but instead we have. <laughs> Ryan Tedder. Let's get into it. I know we've all flown internationally and we see those like ads for uh, all the high-end um, fragrances. Johnny oh, Depp. Jo- Johnny Depp's, I always call yep. Johnny Depp sausage. You always see his sausage and him just being in the, in the I don't know, Joshua tree with big hats, big scarves. Yeah, that, that international terminal at LAX. Always. Can I pitch? Can I pitch you guys my uh, my idea for if I ever scored one of those? My um, this is my uh, uh, my deck for for my, my pitch deck for what I would want to do in one of those high end videos. Yes, shoot. So you guys can think of the name. It'll be some sexy kind of uh, bastardization of a slightly foreign word. 
it'll be me waiting in line at the international terminal of a crowded airport. Okay. That'll that'll be that's the that's the theme. That's the aesthetic. Okay. I love okay. that. I I'm love that it. for you. And that's and that's all it is because those are the only places that I see those ads. Okay. Yes. And so I would like to reflect. Uh, I would like the art to re- imitate life uh, in those moments. And the only place, like to be totally candid in terms of international travel, like in a in a non pandemic year, I do way 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 too much. The only place that I try on colognes or fragrances that I don't wear that I normally don't, that I don't own, that I don't wear is the international terminal of yep. fill in the blank airport, Singapore, so, Paris, exactly. London. Some cool yeah. place. Yes. I'm like, I do, I don't know if you guys do this. I do one fragrance on one arm, one fragrance on the other arm. And then I might even do a different one on the neck. Yeah. Really? You, a, you ABC yeah. it. I ABC it. You cross streams. Doesn't that kind of, they, don't they fight each other? No. Well, what happens is I walk around the airport, figure out which one I actually like. Then I go to the bathroom and I wipe off. It's so lame. I wipe off the other one because one time I did that and I sat down on like a 11 hour long haul flight to like Zurich and the lady next, I heard the lady next to me say, someone is wearing the most confusing fragrance. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Yeah. They fight like, oh, each other. You can't cross me. those things. You got to get them off. Yeah. I picked the good one and then I, I wipe the rest off. And then every time I get home and my wife is like, you're not switching colognes. Why do you keep doing this? Stop. You're wearing your stick with what works. Stick with what works. Because well, what else are we supposed to fucking do when you have like a 10 hour layover somewhere? You know what we do? We go into Hermes and pretend we're going to buy something. I know. I look yeah. around. <laughs> I touch the scarves. That's some of the most prolific acting I've ever done is going into those stores and and really, really selling to them that I give a shit. That and, I really and they're on you. Actually, might buy. Yeah, they're so excited. Yeah, they're, they're like, on oh, you. Man. Yep. Yes, this is the day that I buy a, th- like a fucking $4,000 no. fucking wallet on my way to another country where, I'd, you know, where I, it cost me that much to get there. Yep, yep, but exactly. But that's the place to do it. But I feel like I walk in there and they it's like they already know. It's like a very pretty woman situation <laughs> for me when I go into those stores. Well, I'm dressed usually, you know, uh, dressing and I would, I would say just overall – uh, I would say outfit culture and clothing culture has devolved so tremendously in the past five or six years. So now, especially when you do it for a living and you travel, I used to dress up to travel. I used to, I dress nice, not, not like up, up, but I dress nice. Now, I mean, I'm wearing sweatpants. I've got the hoodie. I, I look like a college kid. PJs. Yeah, yeah, PJs. I look like I'm going to go to a youth hostel. And so when I walk into the Montclair store, they're up on my shit, not because they think I'm going to buy. I'll just... They think I'm not buying. I'm there to take. I do think that I'm. I'm noticing those brands are shifting, are like catching up with us. Where it's like these places that once were very, they they're just they just had different kind of things. Now I'm seeing those uh, brands having the hoodies, having the sweatpants because they know that it's like comfort you. is king. Yeah, comfort is king. That's that's the way to go. I love that we led this with with travel because we do travel a lot and I think Ryan you have probably more uh, points on the board than uh than uh, SD and I, but we're, we're that's 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 saying a lot because uh we we're we're kind of tra- a traveling bandwagon here. Well, it's funny. I actually went to just speaking of traveling. I went to the Hollow Notes concert the other night. I swear I'm going to bring this home. Follow me on this journey. Okay. I'm staying yep, with you. Yep. Yep. So, I see Hollow Notes Amazing concert. Brilliant yeah. concert. In Los Angeles? Hollywood Bowl. Hollywood Bowl. And then I go to sleep that night 
And all the songs are just kind of swirling in my head. Like you kind of forget, or maybe you don't forget how many hits Hollow Notes has. And in my dream, I was getting up to accept an award from like the Travel Commission of Jamaica. Okay, I'm staying with you. Staying with because, you. <laughs> because I had taken the Hollow Notes song you make my dreams come true and made it into a reggae song and made it in Jamaica. My dreams come true. Ooh, do, do. And they were it like won awards. That's amazing. And Daryl Hall and John Oates were there to accept the, it was like the Grammys. This is so specific. <laughs> really appreciate your, your subconscious is like yes. attention to detail. I was like, I must've been, I must have been like, I mean, talk about like a marketing brain. Like I think about those things all the time. Like, okay, if I was going to do, like you were talking about doing like a fragrance, your own fragrance brand. I also, I think about jingles. I think about jingles all the time. I'm in the middle of doing a jingle right now, actually. You are? Like, Wait, literally today, hold on. I have to let's deliver o- the let's jingle. Let's unpack that box. Save us from ourselves, Ryan Tedder. Okay. You know. We're going I, off I on can our own help you. Here. I can help you. Your tangent is amazing because one, John Oates is actually a friend of mine. When I moved back to Colorado for eight years after like my career took off, we sojourned to, back to Denver for eight years, and I got to know. I was like, when you live in Colorado, you 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 end up meeting every other well-known artist that lives in that state. Right. So like the Fray and like um, three hundred three and uh, the Lumineers, and then John Oates, and I Whoa. ended up actually going to his studio in Aspen. And I did one of the songs on his last album just because we became friends, tying it together to this to the jingle. I'm redesigning the entire sound and um, mnemonic like everything of Hertz, like the rental car company. No so, way. Yeah. No so I, way. I have to deliver that today. I, I gave them the first draft on Friday, and I have to like touch it up and then give them a new a new thing for this big just campaign. the sound for their like uh, there's a word for it and i should know it because yeah, my best friend from college like does this for a living it's like audio branding isn't it is it mnemonic yeah mnemonic branding it's called mnemonic mnemonic, mnemonic it's branding a mnemonic. yeah yes. so like I, I did an entire original song not really with so much with that many lyrics they have a campaign phrase um and i had to re- i had to redo uh, do a brand new song uh which it's funny uh, jingles are not my day job but in the last 2 weeks i did fiat worldwide their campaign for the new electric car and now i'm doing hertz which is just just through random friends who whatever and how cool the mnemonic thing is interesting because i have to you know the mcdonald's da 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 you know what i mean oh dude yeah i'm waiting i'm waiting for my yeah keep going i have a whole thing on the cook yeah so i my challenge is deeper in that i had to do an original song that just felt like new and edgy and cool like stuff i'm producing for other artists right now like on the wave of what's coming in quotes right sure but then i have to bury the simple hertz mnemonic within the song so there has oh. to be an overarching melody that like da 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 you know something like that that just becomes the theme so they can play it separately from the actual right. song man there's a Quite whole the lot task. to unpack here there's a lot I mean, this yeah, is something we've never really talked about on the show because we talked about. Do you like? Yeah, I, was, I wonder. Do you like doing that? That's. It sounds like a lot of fun. That's what I, 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 know, I, I yeah. love it. I love it. Um, so my degree is actually in advertising and, and marketing, and so like, shut up, get out yeah. of here. Yeah, so that's my degree. Did not know that. Yeah. Skill so sets. 
before One Republic took off, before I had written any hits for anybody else, I discovered TV and film licensing through my old, old manager, 2004, five, five. And I was broke. I was negative $50,000 wealthy. I was getting evicted. Um, I was jumping on PA gigs on television commercials and music videos for 200 bucks a day. And all of a sudden, I get introduced to a music supervisor who says, hey, I'm directing this movie, uh, or my friend's directing this movie. Um, his name is Buck Damon. My, his friend, who's now Darren and I's long-term mutual friend, um, Adam Shankman. That's how we met. That was, uh, that That's was how we our, met. our little meet cute. Our, our entree. Yes. Other, other than uh, Maggiano's, which I'm pretty sure I saw you perform at. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, we uh, Adam's directing, like, uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, whatever it was. Okay. Cheaper by the Dozen 2. We're missing a song. For one scene, it is 15 seconds. We need an original song that sounds kind of like this other song. Um, do you think you could come up with it? I was at the Grove having dinner on on credit, and I get the call, and, and I'm like thinking in my mind, I'm going to make at least 500 bucks. Like, th th there's no way they can't pay me at least 500 to do this. And I go, do you mind me asking the budget? And they go, well, we're, we're sorry. We're kind of low on this film. We're running out of money, but we could probably get you 20 grand. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you vomit immediately. It's like I dropped the food. I stood up. I told my fiance at the time, "Love you." I'm out. Went home. Did the song, and that's what got me into jingles and songwriting and TV and film. And and now for me, it's a fun side business that is. There's no pressure. So I just, I get to do it. I'm not worried. Is it going to go number one? Is it going to, I just get to do it. So if it's Dr. Pepper or if it's Hertz or FIFA, like I'm always there for it. And it's, it's fun. You know, what's really interesting about this story is that, is that you really start to, I think for every artist, but we'll just focus on music. If you have a certain ability, it's interesting the different um, entry points that people have. I was always a musician. All of us studied music, and I think we all had a penchant for music. My particular gateway, like, there's a moment in your life where you go, wait, what? People will pay, pay me for this? this? Yeah. Yes. That, yes. That happens for a variety of different places, because you usually just defer to the most familiar version of that. It's like, I'll be an artist. I'll be, like, I guess I got to try and be a rock star or, or something like this. You don't know these kind of, like, subsets of things that can utilize your abilities and can, you know, make a living. For me, mine, mine, Ryan, and we'll t get into this later. Was I was uh, I was played in bands and I like music and I was on the acting trail. But the thing that I went, oh shit, I guess I can do this, is when I started writing songs for like musical theater. And I was like, oh, like what? People like I don't. This was not a thing that I like. I just just I was kind of just kidding around. But if you're gonna let me do this, and that kind of fell into all this other stuff. And SC Free, I mean, it was again for you, it was just like a family band. And all of a sudden, someone says, Hey, do you guys actually want to do this and make a record? It's, I, I like that for I would have never pinned that. But for you, it was, it was just like doing ads. And then now here you are, like hit record producer, songwriter. I think we talked about this at Adam at the, at the Christmas party a few years ago. The only scholarship that I got in college was for acting. So I was actually. Wow. I, That's I had, why I had a, you're I, here on this show. I had a full ride to Manhattan Marymount, which is a very theater focused. Um, you know, uh, New York Broadway focused school. And all I wanted to be was an actor growing up. I would memorize sides in the mirror back to myself starting at age 10 up through my teenage years. And I was, I did TV commercials and theater and, and you name it. And the reason I ended up going into music instead of acting was at age 19. Got, I know, I know where the story is going. I was going to ask you to tell this, and SC, your mind's about to be blown. Wait, what happened? Our listeners who follow us on the show, 
Ryan, take your time, really get into this one because I don't know how <laughs> yeah. often you've told this story, but I would like to capture it from every angle right now. I have not told this story on a podcast. I don't think I've ever told this story in, in an interview to, to my knowledge, but here's what I did. I was, you know, going up probably like you, Darren, like once I realized I could sing and act, it's like I, any, any role I wanted in a local high school, college theater thing, I was getting it. But that's Tulsa, right? It's, I was in Oklahoma City. So I was like, I have to get out of Oklahoma. Nothing is happening here. So I loved music and acting equally. I mean, it was literally 50-50. And I thought, I'm, I'm literally going to throw it up into the hands of the Almighty and let fate, God, and everything in between pick my path in life. I applied to five different film studios and five different record labels for an internship. But here's how I did it. And this is the interesting part. In the year 2000, you couldn't just get on the internet and find the number for Columbia Records. Right. You couldn't, right. you couldn't get a hold of a film studio. You couldn't get a hold of anybody, especially in Oklahoma. So what I discovered by sheer accident one day, I'm holding a, v- a, a DVD and I flip it over Questions, comments, complaints, 1-800, call 1-800. It was Universal Pictures. Call 1-800, da-da-da-da, complaint hotline. And I was like, huh. So I just, no one ever calls that number, ever. So I, I complaining that I, do, I, I hate Forrest I, Gump. I'm so mad I bought it. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like nobody does that. Said no one ever. Said no one ever. So I call, so I call the complaint hotline on the back of one of my DVDs. And I get routed to Universal Pictures, you, you know, Universal Complaint. And a real person answers. And I go, oh, oh. And I don't know how I thought of this, but out of nowhere, I just go, oh, I'm sorry. I was actually on hold with human resources. And I think I got repatched to the wrong number. And she goes, oh, HR? I go, yeah, HR department. She goes, oh, one second. Hold. Boom. Connects me. All of a sudden, I'm on the phone with the HR secretary. And I go, and I just go, I'm sitting here. I'm sweating even telling the story. And I go, "Um, I'm sorry. I, I was actually... On, I, I was on hold with the your your head of HR. The, I was on the hold with the head of HR, and and the secretary goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? She's on the other line. Are you okay to hold? Sure, I'm okay to hold. Whoa. Two minutes later, I'm on the phone with the head of human resources for like Universal Pictures, and <laughs> and she goes, hi, how, this is Sharon. How can I help you? I go, hi, you, we've never met. My name is Ryan Tedder. I'm a college student, advertising major. I, I, um, I am an actor and I just want an internship. I want to work for free. I'll do anything you want. I just want to work for Universal Pictures. And she goes, how did you get this number? <laughs> and I, when I told her the story, she died laughing. She goes, that alone is worth an internship. She goes, I'm going to connect you with yeah, the, the person dude. who runs interns. <laughs> and then, so then I did that with Virgin Records, Columbia Records, um, like Interscope, I did. I ended up doing the complaint hotline thing across the panel. It worked probably fifty percent of the time. I ended up with the right person. I applied Fucking for all the internships, and the only reason I ended up going into music and not acting was Universal ends up giving me an internship. They call me, and I'm in LA uh, for spring break. I was the guy that would come out to LA in spring break and just walk around hoping that I'd get noticed or somebody would be like, you should be on television. You're like, yep, I literally did that shit because I, I did that in New York one, one spring and I got flagged and put on TRL as a co-host randomly my, my sophomore year of high school, of college. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I've got that face. I'm just going to, it's going to happen. Um, so long story short is 
I get a call. I visit DreamWorks LA, which is universal. I end up visiting DreamWorks. They go, we're going to find you an internship. Someone will call you in the next week. I end up getting a phone call from a 615 number. And 615, I don't even know what area code that is. Turns out it's Nashville. Yeah. I got kicked all the way down the food chain from DreamWorks, Universal Pictures to DreamWorks Pictures to DreamWorks Record Label, which was Rufus Wainwright, The Eels, Nelly Furtado. I ended up getting punted to the Nashville Country Publishing Division of DreamWorks, and that became my internship. And so I literally took it as a sign from God, you're supposed to go into songwriting and music. And that's what, how I ended up where I am now. As opposed to act, as opposed to being Darren or or one of his peers, I ended up in music. And then my whole job that summer was combing through every song that was written by all their songwriters in DreamWorks Publishing, and trying to find hit records that they might have missed that I could pitch and like bring up to the surface. And to to put a timestamp on this time period, it was the summer that, baby, I'm amazed by you. That Lone Star record. That yeah. was the summer that I was interning at DreamWorks, and the rest is history. Wow, that was not the story I thought you were going to tell, and I, I want oh. our listeners to know just how agape, agog, <laughs> uh, Essie and I are. Our mouths are just like glued to the floor. That is, that's got to be one of like a zillion stories I know you have. So like, just uh, that's one. That's just one. We got more to go. That's one. I, that's one. Th- that's so inspiring, man. And I also I'm like yeah. still so mind blown right now. I know because you're just like, like, what are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I'll tell you what I've they are. About that. No clue. You were fucking proactive. You were proactive and you were ruthless. And the worst thing that could have happened was someone say no, and then you move on. You try it again. Yep. Like this. Yep. There's so much to be derived from this that I think speaks so much more of your your tenacity your drive and your yeah your um what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, I don't want to say scrappiness, but... Um, I'm just a dog on a bone, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're resourceful. I'm a, I'm a squirrel trying to get a nut. I thought you were going to tell the story about um, just while we're in story time with Brian Tedder. Well, let's hear it, because if you, if, you, if, you, if you hint it to me, then I'll quickly tell it. Well, let's just say there's a connection between you, me, and Matt Morrison of, of okay, Glee fame. Okay. That is sort of a... SC talks about sliding doors moments a lot on this show, about that moment where you could have done one thing, but you did another... And this is this is a story when we finally met. You're like, I've been wanting to tell you this story for a long time. Yes. And uh, I don't know if this is out there, but this is a story that our listeners would would love. And it's also very similar to the story that you just said, which is one of these very pivotal moments where you had something in you, you had an opportunity, and you you know just by divine providence mixed with your own sense of um, you know just uh, keeping your doors open, shit, some amazing shit happens. So. Uh, as you know, Matt Morrison, right? He played Mr. Schuster on Glee. Of course, wonderful yeah. actor, singer, everything. Ryan, indulge us. How, to tell us how how do we know how do we know Matt Morrison? Wait, this story tell me, is crazy. Tell me. This is crazy. So it is connected directly to the story I just told you about ending up at DreamWorks Publishing Nashville. So okay. I end up in Nashville, summer of 2000. I'm writing original songs at this time. This is June. Between June and August, I record a few demos. And then I apply for a job at Planet Hollywood to wait tables because I'm broke. I'm sleeping on a couch. And the third day, final day of training, I show up and there's a sign that says, um, auditioning here tomorrow, Sunday, Lance Bass from NSYNC. NSYNC was in town playing the stadium, by the way. This is the celebrity, their final big tour with like Dirty Pop and all that stuff. They they were playing the stadium. Cisco was opening and Pink. And so... The audition is on a Sunday, 
and it said, we're auditioning for a record deal. It'd win the chance to be on TRL and audition live on TRL f- to win a record deal. This is what you were talking about earlier, right? Your thing on TRL? Uh, yes. Sponsored by NSYNC. Lance so Bass was on our Matt show Morrison. just a, a few weeks ago, so I'm just tying it all to the thing. So I, I know that... Okay, I, don't let Love me stop me you. Love me some Lance Bass. Love Lance Bass. So Lance <laughs> technically discovered me. Um, Lance and Timbaland. So two months into my summer tenure in Nashville doing... In, in, I'm not a big country music guy. I've written a couple country hits, but I don't do a ton of country music. So I'm sitting here cataloging country music. I'm writing pop music. I go and audition. I'm standing there with the manager of Planet Hollywood. I read the sign. I go, wait a minute. This is tomorrow? He goes, yeah, this is tomorrow. I go, I'm doing this. I have to enter it. I have, I have three original songs. He goes, Planet Hollywood employees are not valid. You cannot, you cannot do this if you work here. I said, are you serious? He goes, I'm serious. And I go, dude, I take off my apron, hand it to him. I go, I quit. No. He goes, are you, he goes, are you fucking with me? He got so mad. I go, bro, I didn't move here to be a waiter at Planet Hollywood. Peace. And I, and I left, quit Planet Hollywood. Next day I audition. I get written up in the Nashville newspaper. I win the Nashville round. It was like seven cities. I get flown to TRL two weeks later. I perform an original song on MTV, on TRL, and I win. I win. The, all the online votes came, 50% online votes, 50% voting from Pink, Brian McKnight, NSYNC. I win that thing. That night, this is, ties into Matt Morrison. I go out. I get invited to go out in a limo to a club I'd never been to. And I'm, I'm going to a Christian college in Tulsa at this time. Oh, my God. And I, get, I open the limo. I'm at the Trump Plaza Hotel, blah, blah, blah. I open the limo door. It's Lance Bass. Justin Timberlake, Derek Jeter, Miss Universe from India. Um, she had just won Miss Universe the week before. And then two other guys who became my lifelong friends, all in this limo. We go to the club. P. Diddy's there, popping champagne. I'm sitting oh next to like, God. I'm sitting in between Miss Universe and Justin 20, Timberlake. 21, I'm 20. 20. I'm losing my mind. I'm 20 years old, losing my mind. So Justin and I became friends that night. We like exchange numbers and he's like, if you ever need any advice, any help, he's like, yo, if you ever need anything, yo, just hit me up. Seriously. It's all good, bro. <laughs> it's all good, bro. Like, I, I know where you've been. I felt it. So just give me, just hit me up. So that was so, very, very, very good. Spot Justin. on. Spot yeah, I can on. do some JT. So, so I go back to my university the next day in Tulsa. Nine months later, I graduate by the skin of my teeth. That week I get a phone call from a guy in New York City works for Atlantic Records, say, hey, you're the kid that won that deal on MTV last summer, right? I go, yeah. What do you think about joining a band? And I say on the phone, I go, oh, that's interesting. Where is it? Well, we're signed to Atlantic Records. And I go, it's not a boy band. It, you, you said band, right? Not a boy band. He goes, no, 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 it's, 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 it's a band. Sure, I'm game. I get on a plane. I fly to New York. I, I move into this four-story brownstone in uh, uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. Okay. okay. Fully paid for by Atlantic Records. I'm living like high on the hog at this point. And I sit down. The first day I'm there, I'm playing some songs with these guys. I'm looking at them. I'm going, I'm going man, these guys are really good looking to be just a random band. No one has told me yet that it's a boy band. No one. Like flat oh, out lied to me. Oh, my God. Flat out lied to me. So I get a weekend to hanging out with them. We're just working on arrangements. They're like, can you help us write songs and do vocal arrangements? Sure. So I'm doing all this. We're in the studio with some hip hop producers. Then finally comes the day where they go, hey, we have a rehearsal tomorrow at at this thing in Manhattan. You need to join. Okay. I show up. Everyone's wearing sweats and it's a dance rehearsal. All the blood leaves my face and I'm sitting here going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. 
I leave that rehearsal that day. I go through with it, leave the rehearsal, go to, to hang out with Justin in the studio. He's working on Jade. He's working on like that. Justified. He's working on Justified. Okay. And I go in and I go, bro, it's a boy band. It's an Atlantic Records boy band. They want me to be in. And he's like, he's like, dude, that wave's almost done, bro. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think about it. He's like, yo, just use the time to be in New York and meet some people and then peace out. Go, you're a solo artist or start your own band, but don't do the boy band thing. That day, I go back to my four-story brownstone. My mom shipped all my shit to that place. Oh, I had moved God. in. Oh, my I'd been God. There, I've been there two weeks at this point. And this, I walk into my room, and there's a guy standing in the room. And I'm feeling really weird about this whole situation. I'm going, man, I shouldn't be here. This isn't the right thing for me. I open my room, and there's someone in my room. Curly blonde hair. And it's Matthew Morrison. And he goes, hey, dude. And he had like a very not, not amused look on his face and there are roommates at the time had been talking shit about their ex roommate who just bailed on them to go to a Broadway thing. Little did I know he landed, I think it was hairspray or grease that he yeah, had landed a, a major it was, role it in might have been hairspray. Yeah. And he pulls me aside. This is way before he was Matthew Morrison. Right. And he pulls me aside and he, and he shuts the door and he goes, I just need you to know what you're getting into. Like, I wish you the best, but bro, I think you're on the Titanic. I think you're on the Titanic. And he's like, I wish maybe you can turn it around. Maybe you can make something. You know, I, I hear you're talented, but he's like, I just, and I said, why, are, if you don't mind me asking, why, why are you quitting? He's like, because it's just like, he's like, the management is screwed up. He's like, the manager is, is absolutely a bad news. He gave me a bunch of lists. By the way, the manager at the time got federally indicted five years later and went to prison. Oh Whoa. my God. Yeah. AJ Descala. So that was our manager. And then. Matt tells me, basically gives me this warning. You should strongly reconsider what you're about to do. He's like, enjoy the room. He's like, and he packs up all his shit and he like shakes my hand. And he's like, good luck, brother. And I ask him, I go, by the way, what, what do you, what, what's your gig? What are you doing? He goes, he goes oh, I just landed this gig in, uh, on Broadway. I'm like one of the leads in Greece or Hairspray, whatever it was. And he's like, you know, I'm a theater geek, whatever. And then like walks out. And that was, that was my intro to Matthew Moore. And then, and then I watch Glee episode one season one i'm sitting here going i know this guy how oh do i know God. this guy because he and packed I, up left and followed yeah. his dreams i get on the internet i google glee i look at his name i look his name up and realize that he was formerly in this boy band that i was almost in and all of a sudden that was it that closes the circuit now on matthew morris yeah that was the full sliding doors moment and also the fact that not only did he say it was the titanic but he himself it wasn't like he was in the band and was like, I don't know about this. I'm going to stick around, but you should go. He's like, I am leaving to pursue the thing that I came here to do. I'm a theater geek. I love this thing. I'm going to go pursue it. I just booked this thing. Peace. Like it was, it was like advice in action. It wasn't just like this random guy. I don't know about this. Yeah. Like he was you know, an he echo was of a version you. of you. Yeah, exactly. He was looking him leaving. You. I was looking at a version of myself when I saw him. And, and I'm also like weird, the curly blonde haired guy. And then like I come in, I'm curly blonde hair guy. And, and I was like, I remember that meeting with him so distinctly because the tone of his conversation was so foreboding and such so ominous that I was like, who walks away? We were getting 2,500 bucks a month stipend just for being in the, in the band. $2,500 at age Huge. 20. Huge. Yeah, Huge. That's a lot of money. Huge. Yes. Huge. It was crazy. 
crazy. No, but you had to take a chance on yourself is what it yeah. sounds like. You had to be like, I'm betting on myself. Yeah. I'm betting on myself. I'm bet- it's, a, it's a small world. By the way, I, I almost, side note, I almost T-boned Rostam yesterday. Um, oh, no. <laughs> I was in Silver Lake at a lunch and I'm like going down this crazy narrow driveway. And I, this, I think it's in a Tesla just pulls right in front of me and just stops and looks right at me. Doesn't realize it's me. No. And then like, basically like, don't hit me, motherfucker. And then just like, keeps going. Yeah. Anyway, small like, world. I know you. I know oh, you. Dude, that's I know some, that's you. That's some serious LA that's shit. That's some LA shit. That's some oh LA shit. Oh my God. Yeah. Also, how do you like Silver Lake, huh? Well, I don't live there, but I love going there. My bass player lives uh, on one end. There, the, all right. So there's the crazy Lautner house that's on the hilltop yes. in Silver Lake. So that's yes. my. That's where I was yesterday. That's my friend's house. And so I was having lunch there, and my bass player lives on the exact opposing top of the opposing hill. And he has a bunch of studios there. So I I, I love going, going to Silver there. Lake. Eleni Oyster, my friend owns that spot. That's one of my favorite restaurants, Bar Covell. I do love Eleni. Gosh. It's great. It's great. The guy that I was a theater geek with in Oklahoma, Dustin Lancaster, who was in, uh, moved here and became an actor for a while, he's the guy that started Eleni. So it's a weird, small... Oh, perfect segue. I was. Let's talk about your theater background because... One of the things about a lot of the multi-hyphenates that we have on this show, there always seems to be this through line of theater. I think it has a lot to do with the edge, you know, when you grow up, that, you know, it's the thing that can kind of service a lot of the different interests, whether you're a performer or you just like to sing or whatever. We've talked about this a, a, a little bit, Ryan, but, you know, um, Essie's also theater geek. And when we met, I know you talked about, like, you, you came up doing that. You grew up, uh, I think in the, you grew up in the church, right? Very much so. Which I think is theater adjacent. I think it's no, it's no, um, it's, it's performative, <laughs> it's theatrical. It really is. There's a theater huge through adjacent. line of people adjacent. Up, it, it totally is. There's, um, there is <laughs> rehearsal, there is, you know, I'm not trying to uh, no, you're right. take away no, you're from any right. of the dogma. You're, you're doing the damn thing every week or more, more than once a week. Yeah. And I think there's, a, lo- there's a, a large number of musicians that come from the church simply because, guess what? You're going to perform and, and play your instrument once a week for like, I don't know, 18 years or whatever it is. You know, so it's, it's, it clocks in a lot of time. So I'm curious, did you uh, grow up doing theater or was it just something you always loved? Did you do it in school or like what was your, like, how, how, how do we not see Ryan Tedder on Broadway right now? How come you didn't go with Matthew Morrison to Broadway. To be completely candid, um, I would do Broadway tomorrow in a heartbeat if it didn't disrupt our whole family and school and all those things. In in five seconds, I would do Broadway tomorrow. I to me, theater is the greatest theater, and I would say, look, I love concerts. I love. I trust me. I I love. I love that. So what I do is similar to that. But the amount of things that can go wrong on any given night on Broadway or in live theater, it is the most peak existence, level existence for me as a human being. It is it is scary. It is fulfilling. It is every night's a different temperature. Certain lines, certain jokes land different ways on different nights. All the intricacies that our theater, I love. Church is very similar. I did grow up, I was extremely involved in church. I went basically four times a week. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then we hosted a home group, usually once a night. So my, my family is very uh, evangelical, um, Pentecostal, and um, I went to a Christian college. So I was very much, it is um, theater adjacent. You are absolutely right. And that informed me, look, we all did our 10,000 hours, probably 3,000 of them, if not more, came from me 
theater and by way of church. The first play I ever did was was Joseph, you know, um, and were you Joseph? I was not Joseph. No, because this is before I cracked my coming out of my shyness bubble, because what you found what I'm sure you you realize a lot of famous actors, performers. I just listened to a, to a podcast I was listening to um, uh, Smartless the other day and Zach Galifianakis, his episode where he talks about the fact that, like, I am an absolute introvert. I, I, everything you see on camera when I host SNL or if I'm in The Hangover is the antithesis of who I really am. That was me as a child. It took me like years, probably until I was 13, 14, before I finally could step onto stage and be like, this is me. This is my character. I'm going to own this. I'm going to crush this. And the, the only reason that I, I didn't do Broadway and go into acting again was, applying for the internships, I wanted to be great at one of the things and not decent at both of the things. And so I, I figured I got to master one of these first and whichever way fate or God steers me, that's, that's the direction that I'm absolutely going to go. But theater and, and comedy, stand-up comics, th- those are the two bravest forms of expression in my opinion. And, Agreed. and, and just, I have, I going to Broadway, going to live theater, I enjoy I can't really think of anything else that I enjoy more than than going to Broadway or West End. Can I tell you, I think you're going to have a musical of all of your hits. I think that's going to be like your third act. I can see that in your future. You (laughs) like the Bruce Springsteen of it all. That's what I see for you, Mr. Ryan Tedder. I think if you love Broadway so much, I mean, all this with all the songs that you've written and all the number ones that you've had, why wouldn't you just like make a musical? Yeah, whether you like it or not, someone's going to take your catalog. I feel like people have already used your songs and shows anyway. That it's like there's already enough jukebox shit. But also as a songwriter, I feel like your own original shit. I'm sure someone's going to want to develop. I'm this, I'm sure I'm hitting something. There's no way in the past twenty something odd years you haven't been approached by at least three people that were like, yes. hey, let's develop this thing together. I, I, I know this must have happened. Yeah, well, Justin Paul and I have been talking for the last 18 months um, about it. Greg Wells, who just did um, uh, In the Heights and also did um, uh, The Greatest Showman and is doing everything now. Greg Wells and I... For our listeners, that's Justin Paul of Pasek and Paul, my Michigan yes. homies, who we shout out a lot on this show. A lot. Because those are some old old pals of mine. There is 100% a world where that happens. 100%. And, and for the first time... Like Greg and I sat down three weeks ago and said, let's get through the next month or two and then we're breaking bread and we're actually going to come up with a plan because we want to do it. And I, and I absolutely want to do it. And for me, whether it's starts and film and can be adapted to theater or vice versa, right. we've been debating that ironically or maybe not. That's not the right word. Um, I would say logistically, when you look at how hard it is in the success rate of Broadway shows, it is actually easier to develop a film where you you know the end game is Broadway. That is actually an right. easier to achieve. So I think that that would... I'm, I'm executive producing two films right now. I'm doing a musical with Margot Robbie called El Beso for Netflix. And then I'm doing a film with CJ Entertainment um, who did Parasite. And it's a music... It's an LA, uh, South Korea, back and forth, again, music-related feature. Somewhere in that world, 
is where I think I might be able to cross into Broadway. But that I, that to me just seems like the easier the easier route to go. I think that that's. I mean, a, I mean I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm putting. I'm putting again. I'm putting on my marketing like uh, managerial hat. But yeah, I see that for you. I think that that would be incredible. I've become. I mean, I like Darren said. I'm. I I love the theater and I love musical theater. But I'm with you in that I think that there is nothing more exhilarating than stepping out on a stage where anything can happen. Anything can go yes. wrong. Anything can go great. But you are literally standing in front of an audience of people who don't know you and you have to entertain them. And that's to me like the most like talk about like being a, I, I'm such an adrenaline junkie. I think that's why it makes me so happy yep. because it's such a dialectical relationship that you have with these people that you don't know it's peak living it really is it really really is so i i mean to be able to i mean i'm assuming that it wouldn't be logistically possible for you because you have kids it's difficult yes it would be difficult correct it'd be difficult like so like when the kids are like waving goodbye when they're like on their way to college when they're like dad i love you Go go to broad. I mean, daddy's got to go to Broadway. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> daddy's got to go to Broadway. So I guess, like, yeah. I mean, I I can I one hundred percent can can see that in your future. I think that would be really cool. There are some trips, and Darren and I think we we talked about this once. Like, I think we talked about this actually for sure. My wife and I, were it not for having a family, would be bouncing between. LA, New York, and Paris, and probably Tokyo, like just around the year. Like we would literally just like right. three months, three months, three months. I feel like I've won the lottery because of being in a touring band. I get to see the world, but then come back home to sunny Southern California, which is still dreamland for me. Coming from the Midwest, California will always be dreamland for me. Of course. But yeah, there, there, are certain, there, there are certain compromises you make. And for me, like, yeah, not living in New York and doing Broadway, even though every single time I talk about it, I'm like, I would do it tomorrow. Like... That is a trade-off. You can't have everything, uh, you know, have your cake and eat it too 24-7 as much as we all want to. Well, you said something that I really liked, which is something that I think a lot of uh, people who cross-pollinate between a lot of stuff, and I certainly am guilty of this, uh, uh, something that I struggle with is, you know, when you have a lot of interests and you're pretty good at them, you you really, you do, like I often, you know, will spread myself too thin and I always have all these different plates spinning that inevitably one of them will, there's a price to pay because one will be neglected. So like I, you know, I I dove in really hard to... To, uh, on the acting thing and so yeah maybe I didn't put out as many records as I hoped to by a certain age but then again I had a lot of you know like you said something that I really liked which was I wanted to be really good at one of the two things you know to to justify you know putting all this time into it as opposed to being just sort of like okay at a lot of them jack of all trades master of none and Correct. I think you've managed to do that yeah like I think by nature of our uh, like our love of everything and finding stuff interesting and trying to be add a part of ourselves to it like there's always going to be stuff that you haven't done <laughs> that you're like, yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if I just did this, which is sort of the nature of the beast. So in your case, like, yeah, you have smashed a wonderful career, but there's always going to be that. Yeah. But, you know, I would I'd be in Tokyo right now. A hundred percent. I'd be I'd be living in a, you know, fucking cool ass situation in Paris right now. But it's like, you know, you got that other stuff. So I'm I'm uh, I know you're happy with your life. Not like I'm here to like uh, lift you up or anything. But yeah, one one must be pretty proud of the other things, the other plates. When I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. I'm guilty, if, if nothing else, of, of spinning 
too many plates, music and, and then other companies outside of music and all this other stuff. When I was a kid. Yeah, we're not even getting into all this other stuff no. that you do. Jesus, there's so many other things. This summarizes at least my ethos in life in general. Obviously, um, you know, the Carpe Diem, you know, the famous, you know, Robin Williams quote um, from Dead Poets Society. That, funny enough, that phrase, that movie came out at, at a seminal point in my life. And Robin, his what he was preaching in Dead Poets Society, like hammered me. I watched that movie six or seven times because I was like, he is talking to me in this film. Like seize the day. Like don't, don't, don't put it off. Don't talk about what you want to do. Do it. The other, the other parable that struck me as a kid was the boy who cried wolf. Like anyone that knew me, I was determined in high school, middle school and college. If you heard me talk about something, if I brought something up at the lunch table, right, or whatever with my friends, and you heard me say something repeatedly about what, what my interest was or what I was going to do, I was, I would have killed myself to, to do it just to prove that I wasn't just bullshitting you and that I actually had intent. And when my, I got asked when I was a kid, I was like 10 years old. And I got asked if, the, if you found the genie in the bottle and you had one wish, my mom asked me this question, actually. What would you wish for? If you could ask God for anything, right? What would you wish for? My answer was immediate, three lives. And she said, why? I said, because it will take three lives to do what I want to do in one life. And I need three lives. So that's really, that's my only wish is three lives. Damn. So you had to choose one. One life, yeah. <laughs> one, one republic. Life. Ah, one republic. One. That yeah. was terrible. That wasn't even a joke. I don't even know what I was trying to pull off with that one. That was just uh, that was lazy. It was I I had, I enjoyed it. I think it was like a an A minus B plus. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't know what category I'm in, but I'll I'll take it. at least I passed. We're grading on a curve. Were you had you seen Aladdin? Had you seen Aladdin before then? Because you yes. know in Aladdin, one of the rules is that you can't ask for more. You can't ask for more wishes. Yep. Yeah, but you, you never said you but couldn't I ask for more lives. So that's a couldn't great ask for that's more almost, lives. Yes. Oh, I remember the adjective. It's shrewd. It's being shrewd <laughs> and see oh and God. being clever there we with go. the rules. Asking for more lives is just like calling the fucking complaint Genius. hotline. It's yes. just seeing a whole like a route and then like knowing how to fucking get through it and just and being super resourceful. I mean that it's so indicative of so many other things that I think make you successful, Ryan. Because I think behind every there's there's this sort of like outer skill that people see. I talk about this with Ben Chapasic all the time. And I think, uh, I, I mean, I think on, a, on our good days, we would have this. I'm not saying we're all prolific at it, but at our best, we've definitely done this. And I think a lot of people that we admire have done this too. I'm going to use a really nerdy uh, uh, um, metaphor here. So there's the skill on the outside. So like, ah, oh, they play ba they play bass or he can write songs or they're doing this thing. And you see that and you go, wow, that's that's the talent. That's actually the outermost shell in the way that people who don't know comic books think that Wolverine's power is that he has uh, claws come out of his fists. That's not Wolverine's superpower. Wolverine's superpower is that his body can heal itself at an extraordinary yes. rate, which is yes. why they put animantium on his skeleton so that and so he's so he's in pain when he makes bones shoot out of his fucking fists because he can withstand the absurdity of having a metal skeleton and his body is constantly healing itself so the real skill is this other thing that is just behind the thing that you see in front of it and that skill Correct. that i'm talking about the healing skill for for folks like yourself is the hustle 
and having this insatiable and um, hopefully, you know, uh, friendly and passionate, uh, com- compassionate and considerate uh, hustle that can kind of get you from the hotline to the summer internship. You know, like these are just shrewd, resourceful, cunning things that you see a wall and you you don't you don't see the brick I mean you don't see a wall you see the brick and the motor and you see how it can be re- rearranged I mean that's just a a thing that I think has to drive a lot of artists and and um, ambitious people that um yeah I, I I'm in awe and inspired by those stories because that's what I see coming out of you is not seeing what's in front of you but how it can be rearranged life hacks life hacks you know well I think just like seeing the path I think is is what kind of separates people that end up having careers in music and those that find it more difficult to find work is that you really have to kind of zig and zag, you know, and you have to kind of roll with the punches and that's, but, and they don't, they don't ever really tell you that. They just say like, you know, you need a network, networking, 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 networking. It's not, no, it's not necessarily just just that. that because you can meet someone and they and great awesome but you have to it, it's more about like it's more about just like you know being in the community and like going to the shows and telling people like being listen yeah i play bass i i do this like with Haim, i'm sure i know for sure with one republic being a successful artist is um i mean my god if, if like if you could go back in time and it is, it is definitely not the most um, robust business plan, no matter how talented one might be. It's, it's If coming out of high school and deciding I'm going to go into music and make a great living, it's crazy at best. But my overarching philosophy, and I know I've met a lot of other artists, successful artists that feel the same. My overarching philosophy was I only have plan A. I didn't believe in plan B's. And I'll tell people all the time when they ask me for advice, I say, um, I could do this where I could. I said, no, you, you lost me at or it's it's I'm doing this. I'm going. This is going to happen. I'm going to make this happen because the moment you have a plan B, right? Plan B is if shit goes sideways and, and the world's ending, you'll be you'll figure it out like everybody else. But if you right. have the backdoor exit already mapped out. When you're going towards plan A, the moment it gets too difficult, you are running for that exit. And so for me, I moved out here and I I was determined I'm making it in music, whatever shape that is. If I end up doing film and TV music, if I would ever successful artist, I'm making a living in music, period. There is no plan B, right? There is no plan B. And I found that to be central to a lot of people that have made it in film, TV, music, and otherwise, because you have to get so used to the word no. And if you don't have thick skin or believe that, okay, a thousand no's might equal one yes. And that one yes is the only yes that I need. And, you know, I had, I won't say who it is now because he's a high ranking executive, but like I had a very successful executive look me in my face. And when we played the Derby, we played every club up and down the Sunset Strip. We used to pay to play because if you didn't sell 50 tickets, you had to pay the promoter. You did that. So we, I played the Viper Room probably 14 times, the Roxy five times, Troubadour 10 times. Anyway, up, up and down the California coast, chain reaction to the gig, to you name it. And I remember playing the Derby one time and, um, I had a guy walk up to me and tell me straight up. He said, you're a decent writer. You're not a front man. 
And I just don't think your band, I'm sorry, bro. I just don't think your band will ever make it. And like we were performing at the time, I was playing Apologize like in our concerts, which I think oh it was probably God. nine months later that it was the number one song in the world. And and the next time I saw that guy, I wasn't an ass about it, but I just reminded him, I said, am I still not a front man? And that was like six or seven years later. I was like, I was like, do I need to reapply for the gig? Like, what's your opinion now, bro? Like, sucks, sucks not to be a successful band, you know. It really, it really, really took a lot out of me. It really sucks, but I think, I think that ultimate, ultimately, my my ethos to this day is: I walk into any room, whether it's writing, music, business, or otherwise. Start by the assumption that everyone in the room is of equal ability and talent, even if they're not. If you start from there, then the only thing you control, the only thing you control is how much harder you work, how many more hours you put in. And so dropping into LA, I was just like, man, everyone here is mad talented. There's no guarantee for me, but I'll tell you what I can do. I will outwork every single person here to the bone. And that's the, to me, that was the only difference maker that I knew I could control. I couldn't control anything else. We don't have too much more time left, but I wanted to just really quick. Um, both of you guys had canceled tours, unfortunately, because uh, of the pandemic. And I know you were about to take yes. congratulations on the new record, by the way. Human sounds great. Thank you. Thank Human you. Just released um, a couple of months. A couple months. Yeah, ago, a month, right? month and a half. Yeah, I don't even. Month and a half. Who? Who's? Who's counting time anymore? What I know, right? It's, it could be a week. It could be whatever. But recent, it was the 2021 release of the new exactly. public Correct. record. And you guys were going to go on the road with that. And yep. uh, SD just started playing shows again a little bit, um, but still, both of you guys had records you put out that you can't fucking yeah, tour. tour and talk about yeah. theater, man. I mean, do you do you feel that? That theatrical itch that because Essie and I talk about this all the time, but um, you know, there that that is theater, that is performative. I mean, do you really get to scratch that itch when you're on tour, or do you feel like it's still like, yeah, but I really would rather be doing Roger and Hammerstein? <laughs> uh, um, I get to I get to scratch the itch. I don't get to scratch the acting itch that will for, forever always be there. But if you ever come to, come to Warner Public show, I spend 20 minutes of the show riffing on the audience. I'm like literally I turn into a comedy hour and I'm like just like pointing people out in the audience and just kind of going nuts. It. Yeah, I get to test your comedy it. routines out. Both of you are comedians, so I, I do it every get your single type night. Five together. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I, I do I get to do that, so I do get to flex it a little bit. The cancellations has been um, a nightmare. I'm supposed to be in Portugal today performing, headlining a festival, but at the last minute the the Portuguese government told the promoter Three days before they started put setting up the rigging, um, you need to charge every attendee 25 euro at the gate for a rapid test on top of the tickets and top of the travel. And they, they waited until the last day to tell the promoter. The promoter's like, I'm not doing that. That's, that's robbery. It's wrong. It's unethical. I can't do that. And so the, the government was like, you have to. And he says, well, I'm going to pull the plug. And you're going to miss out on a lot of taxes and a lot of – and they pulled the plug. And you know, Esty, I know you understand oh. this as much as I do. When you're booking a, uh, a a lean and mean, say, two or three week run in Asia or Europe, you have one or two anchor dates, right? That are, yep. let's say, pa paying you significantly more than the other dates. If you lose one or two of those, the whole tour deflates. Yeah, it, it doesn't well, then you're paying in the hole. Then you're in the hole. You're literally in the hole. In the hole. And, and I'll tell this because we have a lot of upset upset fans in Spain. We were supposed to play uh, Sevilla and Madrid and and Budapest. And so hopefully some of these fans listen to this podcast. But like doing that tour was going to went from us making barely anything, like and I mean barely a dollar, yeah. to 
we were going to have to pay almost half a million dollars to just to play. To we were going to lose half a million oh. to play. And so we had to pull the plug because like we we can't operate a business that way. And it sucks. I mean, we have a Europe I'm we have a you. we have a tour, we have an arena tour in the spring in Europe that is st- that is thankfully sold really well. We're still doing it. Please God, let there not be another variant on oh, this I crazy know. disease. I know. I don't know what to say. It's it's been a disaster for 2 years for for musicians. I'm so selfishly, sorry. I'm glad you had time but for I'm, us, I'm <laughs> same. Yeah. Same. I know, selfishly. But no, I feel you. I'd like to think that your fans also understand that these are the craziest of times. Yeah. And we will eventually reach a sense of normalcy. But at this point in 2021, it's like nothing. It feels like nothing is promised. Day to day, things are changing. And like I hear from our agents and our management, it's like no one knows anything. And if they say they could, they know what's going to happen in the next five months, they have no that's clue. the boy that cried wolf. That is. That is. And, and we... A lot of these shows, I talk with Live Nation a lot. I mean, every tour for the most part, with the exception of Dave Matthews, because he is absolutely bulletproof um, on touring. With the exception of Dave, every other tour is soft, meaning underselling drastically what was expected. You know, we we played, we did two nights in Vegas at the Zappos Theater two weeks ago. Up until the day of show, we were only at 65% sold. I was panicking. I was like... It's Whoa. four or five thousand people in Vegas. We could like if we can't sell that, we have a problem. Easily. The the day of show, all the tickets blew out, be, and we found out from the promoter. Every, everyone was waiting to see if we would cancel. Actually, exactly. Actually, show up. Actually, 100%. show up. Yeah. And I get that. I get that. Listen, that's a lot of money t- to lose. You're paying for a ticket, and you can't. You're not. There's all these. There's all this red tape with being reimbursed and everything. Like that's money that yeah. people need for bills and food and like to keep their lights on. Like I understand a hundred percent. It's also going to be, it's more expensive. It's also more expensive now, as you know, for artists. I mean, I, my manager's just like, Ryan, just know that for the next year or two until COVID is completely eradicated, like our costs from the COVID, the, having to pay for all the COVID protocols at every venue has corroded the profit of, of touring. It's eaten into a big chunk of, of what was there. I like know. it's, it's a, it's a cost that we have to front and it is what it is though. At this point, I'm so excited to be on the road. I, I was already booking restaurants in Portugal and Germany and Paris. <laughs> oh my I, God. Literally, I was already booking restaurants. I want to go on tour with Ryan Tedder. That sounds like a blast. We'd have a blast, man. That's I know. A good we would time, have bro. a lot of fun. Wow. We would have, trust me, we have fun. Um, but say la vie, say la vie. We'll get back to it soon enough. I'm going to leave you with one more, one more question, man. Um, because, uh, this is something that, uh, we like to get to the heart of that thing. I, on that, um, on that thing I do with all of our guests, it's kind of a two part question. You can try and put it in one, but one of the two things I want to, well, first of all, just a career wise, you know, we were talking about all these things that you do and we didn't even get into half the other shit that, that you're up to. I guess we kind of said it with theater, but I was going to say, you know, what's what's left? What's the what's the next mountain to climb? And I will tie this to the main question of this whole podcast, which is, what do you what for you ties it all together? You know, like what is the the thing according to you of like why you're doing this? You know, we talked about I talk about uh, just to bring back the sort of if you come up from the church, you know, there's a vocation qual- uh, uh, calling to it. Is it uh, to is it is it ego? Is it the self? Is it to I don't know to prove bullies wrong? Is it to connect human beings? What what connects all of it for you for Ryan Tedder? Because there's a lot of shit you do, and what's at the very very center? What's at the nucleus that if you can even try and 
like yes. put that out there. Yeah. You said a like, lot of inspiring pin it shit. Down. What do you got? Enlighten us. Drop the mic on us. I would say that I have started ascending what I would call the second. There's a book, you know, the two mountains. Um, the first mountain that people ascend is is um, you know financial. It's it's rooted. You're you're running from fear and trying to conquer fear. You're trying to prove to yourself. It's driven by ego. It's driven by narcissism. All of us are inherent narcissists. To make it in entertainment for a period of time, you have to be a narcissist. Um, now. I say that with a caveat. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're not empathetic. It takes a certain level of focusing on your soul craft and, and drive to get to even begin to ascend the first mountain. If you reach the peak of the first mountain, some people choose to stay there. They need to remain relevant for eternity and win and beat other people and all that. The goal is to make it to the second mountain, which is you know, how do I impact others? How do I actually leave this world? Uh, it just cliches it sounds a better place than I found it. My what ties it all together for me, and I think the objective of life in general, is taking the talents, abilities or skill sets that are either inherited, not earned, but just, you know, God given inherited, or learned executing them to the best, taking those talents and executing on them to the best of your ability and finding a way in that execution that the offshoot of executing on your reality with your talent benefits not only yourself and your family, but the people in the world around you and creates an echo effect. And I think that you know, money is the byproduct of understanding your reality and executing on it to the best of your abilities. Chasing money is, a, I think, a fool's errand and, and not something that it's ever been a, an obsession of mine. But figuring out how you can use your talents to scratch your own personal drive and your own itch, but somehow impact others in a positive way in whatever way, shape or form. I think that is our purpose. And I think leaving that halo effect of I did a song uh, with Beyonce uh, a few albums ago called I Was Here. And that song, the lyric encapsulates like, like we all want to know at the end of the day, especially in entertainment, it's conquer fear, then create legacy. And how can we create legacy? And I don't mean put your name on a building on the UCLA campus. No offense to people who do that. That's phenomenal. But I mean, you leave this echo effect. And I think that creatives are endowed with the most natural ability to leave a legacy of the, of any people on earth because what we what we're creating and putting out in, in, into the universe is permanent right music film too and now with the blockchain it really is permanent it's forever Whew. right <laughs> but that's i know that's a long-winded answer but i think it's it's no, figuring out a way excellent. for your talent yeah that's my answer i think that's an amazing answer and i think you've done that in in spades man it's it's inspiring to hear it. I and, think that rings yeah. true for for most of us, right? Definitely. Is to like bring people together and create community and to make people not feel so alone. Yeah. And sometimes it's through yeah, music. 100%. Sometimes it's through a tight five. Sometimes it's through you know it's like you you pick you pick your yeah. uh, weapon of choice to do those things and um yep. I think you've done that fabulously, man. Dude, thank you for your time. The last thing I'll say as an as an exclamation Please. point on that Ex- thought because it, it just us. occurred to me. This is profound. I talked to somebody when, before my grandparents passed away at the, their nursing home. They died within 45 minutes of each other, incidentally. Oh, but um, I asked the, one of the nurses, what is the most common conversation you have with people as they're approaching death? And what she said, 
shouldn't surprise us, but it's the way I think in which people should live their life. She said, no one sits around and talks about at 95 knocking on death's door, like regretting all the things they did. She's like, you almost never hear that. What I hear consistently is overwhelming regret for all the things they didn't try. And I think that that, to me, if there's regret at the end of the day, it's the risk you didn't take, the person you didn't walk up and talk to because you were scared. And so it all comes back to just like, you live once, you're not promised another day, fucking do yeah, it. You don't get the three, you get the one, but hey. No. Yeah, you don't you get, get the one three out of Three ain't bad. That's it. <laughs> I, think the, I think it's a different lyric. I think there's something to that. That's really good advice. I'm going to call Jim Steinman's <laughs> estate and make sure I'm not uh, stepping on anything. I don't know if legal is going to be mad at that. Dude, yeah. Brian, thank you so much for your time, I love that man. Advice. Seriously, you're, you're such an uh, such a yeah. such I a know. and we really appreciate. Thank you, you so us, much man. for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. This is a much needed fun sojourn in the in the middle I'm of glad, the week. Man. So thank you. I hope I I I almost T-bone you somewhere in in Silver Lake when in I'm Silver driving Lake. around there as well. I just want to have a T-bone steak with my. I want to be in Portugal having <laughs> or, a oh, that steak too. across from Rostam and oh. Ryan Tedder. And or at SD least some tapas. Some Torture. tapas in Portugal. That sounds great. Torture. All right, man. Much love. Thank you so much for joining us, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. See you guys. Thanks. Bye. That Thing I Do is a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. If you like the show, which I know you do, please be sure to like us, follow us, and leave a glowing review. Thank you for listening to our show. We'll see you next time. Bye.